Hello and welcome to The Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Well, it's a pleasure to be with all of you today. Um, I'm just uh, so excited to uh, see so many people on the you know, feed here from all over the world. It's been really enlightening to see that. Um, it's good to be in a meeting with men and women. I've been going to meetings uh, for a long time with men only. Once in a while, a woman would show up. Where I met most women in the program was when I went to um, conventions and conferences and speaker uh, engagements in Los Angeles, California. So at any rate, um, yeah, service and sponsorship, but I'll preface with a little backstory. Um, I learned about pleasuring myself when I was very, very young. I learned it on my own. Nobody taught me anything. I was probably four or five years old. And, you know, after um, several times my mother telling me to stop, um, I had that spiritual shift that we talk about in the white book where I thought, well, um, this is just for me and no one's ever going to catch me. So I became very secret. I um, fantasized. I imagined things. I, I got lost inside myself. I was an only child um, for quite a few years. And my father was in the U.S. Air Force. And he was married to a full German. My mother um, had married him right after World War II. And I spent a lot of time with my mom. My dad would, um, we, were, we traveled all over the um, world. And uh, we were in Japan. We were in France. We were in Germany. And I spent a lot of time with my mom. And, you know, she spoke German. And I, um, yeah, you know, I didn't know anything about the United States, really. We, um, we traveled across the United States by car once or twice, but I was very young. And, you know, I didn't learn very much about being American. When I came to the United States, I was about nine years old. And I was basically a cultural immigrant, even though I'd gone to American schools overseas, I had no idea how to fit in. And so when we ended up in California and my dad retired from the service there, I wanted to fit in so bad. And um, I gave up speaking German. I came home from school one day and said, that's it. You know, I'm not speaking German anymore because I was getting, you know, hassled by the kids, you know, at school, kids can be pretty devilish that way. And I, I just wanted to fit in. And all along the way, I had my, yeah, what became a dependency and then an addiction. And it lasted a lifetime, you guys. I thought when I was in high school, you know, I was, I was very um, precocious. I was good in school. 
I'd had a tremendous world experience that most of the kids hadn't had. And I, um, you know, I used that to my advantage, but mostly what that did for me, it gave me time to myself. Because if you're doing well and you look good and you're working and everything looks charming, people leave you alone. And uh, yeah, I was collecting pornography. I was objectifying women. I had lots of female friends, but I knew from an early age that I was not, that it was socially unacceptable, uh, the way that I was living and imagining sex. And, um, so I was very careful and, um, you know, moved on with my life. I started using alcohol. That was my drug of choice back in the day. And um, that got the better of me. By the time I was 29 years old, I was in AA. I was sober, thank God. But, um, you know, this addiction, then it took precedence. Then it really ramped up. Because I was sober, I was more comfortable going out at night and going into places that I would have never gone because it was dangerous and it was dark and it was late at night and I was carrying money. And um, yeah, it got worse and worse. And I knew it. I knew it. But I didn't care because I loved it so much. Um, I met my wife and um, I was four years sober in uh, recovery from alcohol. And I never wanted to bring this. I knew better. And I didn't want to bring this into recovery, into my marriage. So I, um, you know, I did what uh, many people do. I, I threw everything away. You know, this was a long time ago. So it wasn't pornography on the Internet. You had to go out and make a transaction face to face. And I was collecting pornography and I threw it all away. And, you know, um, Within a few weeks of being married, I started collecting it again. And uh, anyway, the years went by. I was able to hide it, but it became exhausting because once I was married and then we had a house and I had a new career as a teacher and I, we had a child and my world just, I was living in the box. I, I was, it was too difficult to hide anymore. And, you know, one evening I was so sex drunk, I forgot to put everything away properly. And uh, my wife found it. And imagine her dismay and her shock. She's not a prude, you know. But I shocked her with what I was collecting and what I was looking at. And uh, she told me, we're not going to live this way. This is unacceptable. And, um, you know, here's what happened. I did not have, there was no internet then. I, I, I was so exhausted by this and I was so dismayed and so uncomfortable with what had happened. And, um, you know, I had a, a sponsor in AA and he was a good guy. And I, I told him about it and I had done a fourth step, fifth step in AA. And you know what? I just brushed right over this. But um, anyway, what happened was he found a phone number for me and 
I went to my first meeting and it was 20 miles away. And you know what? A guy from that meeting drove all the way to my house, picked me up, drove me all the way to the meeting and drove me home again. And what a miracle that somebody was willing to do that sort of service for a newcomer. Um, and I was, I was so grateful, but I was still really uncomfortable with the idea of being a sexaholic. I really didn't know what I was in for. Even though I'd been in a 12-step program of recovery, I knew this was my core issue. I knew this was the part of me that was deepest and the darkest secret. And even though my wife had, you know, found out, she didn't know the, the, just the depth of it. The first meeting was very far from home. I found another meeting through a guy in that meeting that was much closer to my house. And I went to that meeting on my own. And there were maybe six people there, very small meeting. And I think the most sobriety in that meeting was maybe three years. But they had the books and they were, you know, running a good meeting. But no one was sponsoring anyone. I, I noticed that right away because at the end of the meeting, they would say, whoever's available to be a sponsor, please raise your hand. And no one did. And I was a newcomer. And so what I did was, you know, my wife had insisted that we go to family counseling because she believed in that. She had done that before in her life. And the guy that I was going to, I used him as a sponsor. He knew a little bit about sexaholism. And so I used my counselor as a sponsor because I needed someone to just share with and get some help. And, you know, I did my first, um, my first step with him. And I knew that it wasn't the right way of doing things. I connected with the guys in the meeting. And I went along that way for a while, but I didn't really have a sponsor, you know? And um, then the meeting changed. New guys were coming in. Some of the old timers went out, which happens. And um, all of a sudden I had like, I don't know, nine months, a year, a little over a year. And there were newcomers coming in and I had been trained in SA that you raise your hand and you do participate and you do service. If something's asked of you, you say yes. And so all of a sudden I was the secretary of that meeting and I always raised my hand. And so people would come to me and say, would you sponsor me? And I had just over a year. What that did for me was it, forced me to learn more about the program and more about the addiction and read some books and get some ideas about how to help people. Because I heard people telling me stories and problems, things that I wasn't really familiar with. Um, people that had been through terrible divorces and people that had just been acting out in ways I never did. And I just learned the language of the program. I knew that I was gathering a good sense of well-being, peace of mind. My wife was laughing again. We were having 
relations again. She went to counseling too. And then she went to Al-Anon, which is part of the AA program, but she had friends there. And that helped her to set boundaries and, and it helped her to be comfortable around me. And I'm so grateful. But as far as service went, I was the secretary of this small meeting. And some guys came from LA and they visited the meeting and they invited me to come up to West Hollywood and speak at their meeting. And I did. I went there. And that was my first opportunity to speak to, a, you know, a large group of people. And, um, you know, I don't know about you, but this was not the sort of thing I shared with anyone before I got to the program. I, you know, even in AA, I didn't share about this stuff. No way. I didn't, you know, even with friends in high school and stuff, I didn't sit around telling them how I acted out and how much I loved it. When I was an essay, um, in the beginning, I got used to doing that. And it was very, very invigorating to be able to let go of all of that and share out loud. Working with another person and, and seeing them come alive to the program and reading some of the parts from the book and seeing other people progress. Wow, what a generous helping of life. That's something that you don't often see. You know, you're sharing your deepest secrets. And it was amazing to me that people were so encouraged to continue because someone was listening to them and nodding their head and saying, I did that too, or I understand. I finally got a sponsor in the program because I'd been around long enough to meet some people that had more time than I did. But uh, yeah, you know, I did a, a good fourth and fifth step in the program. I, um, I was invited to speak at, some, uh, at a conference. I met Roy Kay. I sat at the same table with him. That was a little intimidating <laughs> since I was speaking and I thought, oh, he's sitting right there and he's going to hear everything I say. Um, I've been in service for a long time because, you know, the small meeting that I had, we, we were at that church, that little classroom at that church for the longest time. And then the church said, we can't have you anymore. We have liability problems with our insurance. And we were out and we had to find another place. And, you know, um, once again, I was the one carrying the bag and the books and the money and the chips. And um, you guys, one time, you know, we elected a new secretary and I was so relieved. And that guy acted out and he took the money from the meeting and acted out with it. And he, he just brought the bag back and looked sheepish. And then he left. I had to replace all the money in the bag. <laughs> and I thought, okay, um, we have to have responsible people. I carried that bag for the longest time. And you know what? A lot of people were very happy that I was doing that. That's not the way it should work. I mean, every six months, you should have a new secretary or if it's a big meeting, maybe every year. But, um, you know, I carried that, that bag and carried that meeting. The problem with that is you can take ownership of the meeting and think that it's yours. 
And um, I was very careful not to do that. And I, I shared with other people, I said, you know, somebody needs to do this. And, um, you know, the years went by. I'm grateful I had a good meeting close by. I'm grateful that the meeting grew. There were times where it was small. Talk about service. I showed up at that meeting. It was pouring down rain. It was New Year's night. I left the party we were at. I said, I've got to go do something and meet some people. And um, I went and opened up that meeting. It was pouring down rain, New Year's. And I sat there for 45 minutes and no one showed up. And I finally locked it up again, but at least I was of service and I was there. You know, go to any lengths. I really, really appreciate the newcomers in the program. I do believe what they said to me in AA, which is newcomers are the lifeblood of the program. If new people don't come in, the meetings won't grow and eventually it'll just, you know, go away. And, um, you know, I'm grateful that... um, the meeting grew. Some good, responsible people showed up. I finally was able to pass everything on to someone that I, you know, that I could trust and that the meeting could trust. And he did such a good job. And I was so pleased about that because I saw someone just like me that relished the program and cared about newcomers and wanted to be there when that person walked in the door. You know, if you're in service to a meeting, or to the greater good of SA, um, what you get to see is, well, you're the first one at the meeting. You're the one with the key. Bottom line is, if you're the first one at the meeting, if you're the one that's, um, you know, got the keys, you're going to see people walk in that door. I had people sobbing. <laughs> I I was the one that would take someone to another room and say, why are you here? You know, do you have any familiarity with the program? Um, yeah, I've seen people really brokenhearted, you know, in their first meeting. And uh, I was grateful for that opportunity. I wasn't um, scared off, you know. I thought, wow. And, you know, I remember one guy, he, he was so grateful that he always shared that when he shared his, um, his story that I was one of the people that he met first of all, and that he was able to just sit there with tears in his eyes with such dismay. If you're new to the program or fairly new, I hope you can find a home group. I know these Zoom meetings are so uh, easily accessed. I mean, like I said, I I drove a long way to go to meetings and um, what I thought was a long way, especially when you have a young family, you work far from home. I would drive home and I, you know, shower and feed the kids and say hello to my wife. And then I'd get back in the car and go to a meeting and I'd be gone for two and a half, three hours, you know, and then I'd come home at 10 o'clock at night. And um, I did that for a long, long time. And, um, you know, The importance of service is that you meet so many people and I've got to go to so many places and share my story. I got to speak at big um, Essanon conferences and that was enlightening to be in front of a, a lot of married people, a lot of women and share my story. What I shared there was my story with my wife and how she'd had a spiritual experience 
sort of along the you know way with me and we were able to get our life back together again we've been married a long time and i'm so grateful for that i mean i've grown old in the program i've been around for a long time and um you know i i haven't had a lot of hard times i've had times where i had to learn things about being a grown up you know i had to learn about my my parents both passed away pretty young and um i had to lean on people in the program and ask them how do you what's a mortgage how do i do what's escrow mean how do i you know i inherited some money from my family's estate and i thought what do i do with this money how do i deal with this i i had to lean on people in the program for things like that and because i had thank you luke because i had friends in the program people i trusted and it's a deep kind of trust you know that i found here that i didn't have with just friends of the family and even today you know i i haven't had occasion to share this with my my children they know that i've been sober in aa for a long time and uh, you know my kids never had a need to know and so you know when i had that talk with my my son you know i just told him you know easy does it you know don't get girls in trouble and he didn't seem to have any issues with it my daughter either so i just left it but um yeah my wife i know is very heartened that i've stayed with sa for so long and that i continue to be sober and i continue to serve and i continue to sponsor people um one thing i'm grateful for is you know i missed you guys last week i I went to Dallas, Texas where my daughter lives and she came here to the house in New Mexico and um you know I was able to travel safely and I was able to be in Texas by myself in an apartment with a cat and uh you know what I did I called a friend that I knew in Fort Worth which is about 35 40 miles away from Dallas and I drove over there and we met for lunch and we had a great talk and he told me all about SA going on around the Dallas area and we had a really good connection That's a miracle for a guy like me and I um I live one day at a time in the program I say my prayers every morning and I really care about what other people are doing in the program. I'm very connected. I get phone calls all the time from the guys in California. I just recently moved to New Mexico. We've only been here just under 4 months and um Yeah, I'm grateful to Zoom meetings. I think there's one small meeting New Mexico just opened up about a month ago. So I have been to one AA meeting in uh face to face and I think there's one small SA meeting face to face meeting um nearby so I'm going to be checking in with them pretty soon. Luke, thank you for the time. Thank you everyone for letting me uh you know share a little bit of my story and I guess we do question answer now Luke. Yeah, yeah, Luke, thank you brother. Greeting from Germany, Hamburg. My name is Payam and I am sex and loss addict. I'm grateful to be here. Um yeah, thank you for your for for your for the speaker. I have a I, I have a question. I have a sponsees uh, and um we had a contact yesterday. He is two weeks sober and my my sponsor said to me you can jump you you can take him to the step 
we are going, we went through the step, but um, he deleted my number as we received to the two step, second step. And my sponsor suggested him to believe in Jesus, to believe in, uh, uh, go to the Bible. Um, and he deleted the number because he is a Muslim. And they, the fight is started already. I said, okay, God, it is not your will. I hope that he can find another sponsor. And he came back uh, today to me and I said, I'm sorry. I wanted to be, I want to, I want to ask you, are you ready yet to, my, to be my sponsor? I don't know what shall I do. I'm so confused because one side, I wanted to help my brother. He's, he's my friend. He's sick like me. He need help. But the other side, inside of me, I, I have no leading. I have no, no guidance. How I have to be? It's my question. God bless. Thank you. Thank you, Payam, for that question. Um, I have familiarity with a lot of people that are evangelical Christian. And they come into the program and they, that's their relationship with God as they understand God. I, I like to keep it as simple as possible. And so step one, you know, I, I make sure that they, they understand that they're, you know, sexaholic. We talk about that quite a bit. I let them share their story. And then once I've heard their story and if they've been, if they're where I come from, everybody does a first step inventory and it's kind of, um, a short autobiographical history, you know, where are you coming from? What, what have you been doing? And, you know, what got you here? And, you know, when the newcomers do that, what that reveals is the subtle form of insanity that they're living with, you know, and um, that takes you to step two that a belief in a power greater than yourself can restore you to sanity. So I like to keep the language of the program uh, first and foremost. And if someone's relationship with God, as they understand God, is um, a useful tool for them, if they are, you know, active in some religious program and they can say their prayers, I tell them to keep it simple and keep it full of gratitude that they're here. But um, yeah, I... I like to get newcomers uh, writing a little bit, not a novel, you know, just um, short journaling. And um, I, sh I tell them this is what I do every day, a little bit of journaling, just cryptic messages to myself, uh, just to remind me that I have one day at a time. And then when I have a bad day and I think that I'm going crazy again, I can look back and go, oh, I've had, you know, a good week or I've had, you know, 30 days in a row where I felt pretty comfortable. Um, being restored to sanity in the program, step two, that was a great revelation for me. I didn't work the steps quickly. And as far as sponsorship goes, I think in the beginning, mostly I make sure that they're calling me, that they have other people's numbers. I ask them, please call another brother at least once or twice a week and start talking to other uh, sexaholics. So... Yeah, keep it simple. Um, don't get involved in the religious uh, stuff because that's not our our way of, you know, 
learning the program. Everyone comes to God a different way. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you very much, Hans. Please raise your virtual hands in the chat, in the, um, through the toolbar. Or if you can't do that, you can also raise your hand, but I might not see it. Buddy, you're up. Okay. Hey, I'm Buddy. I'm a recovering sexaholic. Thank you, Hans, for sharing today. Um, I also came into SA as uh, sober in AA first. Um, I had a few more years than you. I had 17 years sober in AA. Um, and it was funny. My sponsor approached me. He was, I got a sponsor right away. And he was, is the one who had started the meeting. And he approached me and said that there's a woman who wants to come to our meetings. And I just looked at him like, yeah, well, of course she can come to our meeting. Mm -hmm. And he had said that we had to have a group conscious vote with the other men in the meeting before we could do that. <laughs> I looked at him. Yeah. I almost started hollering at him. Like, have you not yet read the white book? <laughs> She's not the problem. Um, so our experience, my, my experience was, was, was quite different than yours. And I guess that was the timer. So that's all I'll share. Thank you, Hans. Thanks for sharing today. Thanks, buddy. Um, yeah, you know what? I, we, our meeting was open, but, uh, It was a long time before I met a woman that walked in the door of our meeting and it was no different than a man. It, it was mm -hmm. the same thing. Oh, yeah. And I, uh, you know, I did what I did. I shared the, I showed her the book. We talked a little bit about her backstory. I was grateful that she could trust uh, the meeting. Here's an experience that I did have. I knew a couple of guys that were so uncomfortable with having a woman in the meeting that they didn't come anymore. And um, I thought that was kind of, well, that's their problem, you know, because the meetings are open. And um, if it's a closed meeting for men only, that's a different story. But, you know, if it's in the meeting guide as an open meeting, I mean, Yeah, I, I've met several women over a course of years that came to our meeting regularly. And um, I think it was brave of them, you know, to be to walk into a meeting with a bunch of guys. And uh, but within moments, you know, that you're all in the same place for the same reason. So, um, yeah. I'm grateful uh, that my meeting sustained that part of the program. We were able to have women there. Thank you, Hans. I'm Thank going you. to take a question which I got in the chat, or which we got in the chat. It's from Kawi from uh, Kenya. And she says, here's my situation. There are few women in my country who stay in the program. I've tried to reach out to some but it feels like I'm being overbearing. Mm. I'm in the reach out committee for females, but I'm not able to do service because not many are coming back. Do you have any tips? Yeah, it's a problem. A lot of newcomers, especially I think um, younger people, uh, people that are single, 
women, uh, they're reluctant. And, um, you know, what I learned is that if I'm reaching out to others and getting the cold shoulder, um, as long as I'm steady in the program and I want to share the program rather than my experience so much, um, keeps me sober, you know, one day at a time. And so I think that if you're in service that way, Kawi, um, good for you. And uh, just, just keep doing it to the best of your ability. Don't lose hope because, you know, if you can just find one person, two people here and there over a period of time, it's very heartening and it's worth it. Um, someone has to carry the message. And um, yeah, if that's your service, that's what you do. And it made me stronger in many parts of my life. You know, there were times where I had to reach out to people in other aspects of my life. And because I knew that sometimes people were reluctant, I didn't have to be pushy, but I could sustain my endeavor. I could, I could keep trying. And, um, you know, I have very good friends that are outside of the program. And sometimes I'm frustrated that they don't have a program because I, I can only help them so far. At any rate, um, bless you for your service. Keep up the good work. Don't lose heart. And we're all in this together. One good thing about these Zoom meetings is that, um, you know, you can reach a lot of people a lot quicker. You don't have to wait for someone to walk in that door on a rainy night, you know, <laughs> when there's no one around. Uh, thank you, Kawi, for your question. Thank you, Hans. Juan Carlos, you're next. Thank you, Luke. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Hans, for your words. Uh, well, I appreciate a lot your your testimony. Uh, uh, while I was listening to you, uh, it reminds me when I got my first uh, touch by last when I was uh, seven. Uh, it, it reminds me that when I was well, I playing, I got uh, some kind of high. Uh, some something touched me inside, and it was like a, I got a cause. Uh, of uh, this disease, of this uh, malady, and it was like a trespassing a fence uh, and getting into a, a secret garden for me. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was like, a, wow, I have found a new world for me, right. and it was secret and only for me. So it reminds me, thank you very much for this, uh, for your words. And also, I would like to ask you uh, about uh, your daily basis and nowadays you are sober for too many for me well too many days in my case but uh, anyway uh, I want to ask you how do you deal with uh, triggers with uh, your temptation your shortcomings nowadays because for me it's kind of light in your in your person so thank you very much I am waiting for you thank you Juan Carlos um yeah, you know, I mean, when you fall into the, you know, down the rabbit hole when you're seven years old, oh my gosh, you know, and then you grow up with it, it lasts a lifetime. It really was insidious. It was so hard to get rid of it. As far as working um, program and getting better, you know, my defects of character, 
I'm better. <laughs> my wife, my family, they appreciate me. I'm, I'm socially responsible and acceptable today. Um, but I had to work program with other people. I had to talk about those things. You know, people ask sometimes, what do you guys do in recovery group? And I said, we talk about kids. We talk about money. We talk about um, work. We talk about the, you know, driving, commuting to work, the things that make you aggravated and the things that are difficult during the day. And even though I've lived well for a long time, it's one day at a time. I mean, just this morning, I had to do registration for my daughter's car in Texas, and it was a lot of work. Um, and it can be frustrating how I work on my defects of character. Same way that I work with a newcomer. I journal a little bit. I write down what, what is bothering me. Um, I keep it short and sweet, so I'm not writing a novel every day. Um, I, I look back at the books. I look at some of the study guides that I have. I refer to past experience and remind myself that I've been in these situations before. The number one thing I don't do is lose heart because I have a program that works and I can look through that book, or I can look through the big book of AA, or I can look through some of the other books from our program, and I can get some ideas. I can call a friend, and I have a lot of friends in the program, people that um, know me very well, and I can call someone and say, this is what's happening with me. This is what my wife was mad at me today. You know, that that's a problem. When my wife is unhappy with me, it really throws me for a loop more than just about anything else. And I have to take time to um, recover <laughs> from that and recover my sense of purpose and well-being and peace of mind. Um, you know, step 10 is there for a reason, because I still make mistakes with people, places and things. Um, not all the time, not as often as I used to, but... Yeah, it's important to, um, you know, keep the book nearby and have a phone list and make sure and use it so that people know you and know your circumstances. Thank you, Juan Carlos. Thank you so much, Hans. Thank you, Hans. Gerard, you're on. Yeah, uh, thanks very much for sharing. I'm not sure I have a question. I changed the question a few times. Huh. Initially, when you were sharing, I heard you mention Roy Kay, and you said how intimidated you were. And it sounded like personalities before principles. Huh. And I have a sense in which being intimidated by someone, you know, that kind of concerned me. And I don't know if it's related, but the most impressive thing about Roy Kay that I heard was his, the way he said, I sit down so you don't applaud me. I don't want recognition because, you know, and, and the wonderful thing about the fellowship and addiction programs is the lack of hierarchy. So I don't know if that's even a relevant question. My ego is a massive problem, life-threatening problem for me, which right. is probably why I raised the question. I was trying to think of a perfect question so my ego would be satisfied, but I can't. So I'll pass. And that's going to really reduce my ego, knowing I've made an imperfect attempt. So there you go. Gerard, thank you so much for pointing that out. Yeah, intimidation is the wrong word. Uh, I was just nervous. <laughs> and, um, you know, uh, well, you know, he was such an important person and I was pretty new. And, uh, yeah, to um, 
stand up in front of him and talk about his program <laughs> that he'd given to us. And uh, yeah, I, yeah, intimidate. No, I wasn't afraid of him. I, I just was, yeah, like you said, you know, I have an ego and I wanted to do a good job. And it was like a, well, felt like a job interview, maybe. <laughs> I don't okay. know. Okay, um, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Bottom yeah. line is, um, I was grateful I had the opportunity to meet him close up and personal and share a few words with him um, that one time. Great. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you. Yakov, you want to share? Hey, uh, yeah, thank you. Um, I'm Yakov, I'm recovering sexaholic. Uh, Hans, thank you so much for the share. I really gained so much from it and really enjoyed listening. Um, I guess uh, one question, I have a uh, sponsee right now who uh, came to me to sponsor him when he was already at step two um, from another sponsor. So um, I've been trying to just help, um, I've been trying to help him carry on with step two and continue on from there. But I noticed that he doesn't really know the 18 wheeler he doesn't know, I don't know. It doesn't seem like he has like uh, so much of a routine. It's just like, he's going through the steps. So I'm trying to take him through the steps, but how would you recommend that I, um, that I, I guess, would you recommend that I tell him to stop and just go through the basics or add on some other, some more basic part on the side? How would you recommend that I um, continue with them? That's my time. Thank you. Thank you, Yakov. Um, one of the, little activities that I've done with sponsees on step two is I asked them to write me a little paragraph or two about what they think a sane life would look like. I like to get and see if they even understand what a, you know, a normal life would look like for themselves. Um, it gives you an opportunity to talk more. Step two um, was a window into other people's lives and how they lived and what they thought about themselves and what they thought about their day-to-day -day living. Um, step three is right there too. Uh, and I like that you mentioned the 18-wheeler. You know, it, if people are going to meetings regularly and you're reading the book in the meetings, that was one thing I left out of that meeting that I was, that was a step study meeting. And uh you know, we read the book and we read the steps all the time. And so newcomers had that opportunity to be studying the book. Um, yeah, definitely use the book. Take them through. <sighs> yeah. Talk about the 18-wheeler with them. Get an idea what their life is like. And, um, you know, step three, like I said, it's right there. At some point in step two, I started talking about God more readily. And I started to share with them some of the prayers that I use every day. And I started to talk to them more about journaling. And uh, yeah, there's no good purpose in rushing through the steps. Um, you know, the good thing about our program is that it's not, it's not therapy. You're not going to have to pay that much for it. So I know people that have spent thirty, forty thousand dollars on therapy over the years, and um, you know, here we get to do it uh, with another person, and so build that relationship and help them understand that it's um, one day at a time and one step at a time, and 
to relish the small miracles every day. You know, um, I tell people, well, you know, I ask them straight up. I sometimes I treat them like they're 15 years old and I go, did you make your bed this morning? Did you get lunch? Did you get to work on time? Did you make anybody unhappy with you before noon? Call me at lunchtime. Tell me how your day is going. You know, um, some people haven't had that rigor in their life. <laughs> and uh, yeah, anyway, yeah, I like that you mentioned the 18-wheeler. Good idea. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Hans. And thank you, Yaakov, also for the timing. Members with less than 30 days can also raise their hands. Lee, you're up. Hi, Hans. Thanks for the talk. It was really, uh, really something I think needs to be talked about. Had one quick response to the question about reaching out and not coming back. Is that in 1986, uh, Harvey had been keeping track of people who had come in to our Nashville meeting. And he said out of the first 100 that he counted, only three came back. So it's uh, it's not don't get discouraged. Uh, attraction will finally work. Uh, the the experience I've had is that I think that sponsorship, having the uh, keys to meetings, uh, and uh, we have a newcomers meeting in another twelve step program that I took the key to, and all of those things are tremendous. But also I've. Uh, worked on an intergroup level and occasionally a regional level and uh i was the intergroup chair and all of that how do i how do i balance that with my ego and do you participate in those things lee thanks for your share i'm grateful for guys like you that have participated at higher levels um i didn't uh, I was an older dad, so I had little kids at home and I was working far from home and I, I had time for what I had time for. And um, what I do know is that several people that uh, I sponsored, they got into, you know, higher levels of service because they really, really enjoyed that um, and they had time for it. Um, yeah, I think that... Uh, Whatever you can do at whatever level, you know, it's so important because if you don't have, if you don't have that connection, if I don't have that connection on a daily basis, uh, I'll lose track. I'll forget. I don't want to forget where I came from. And I don't want to forget that my life depends on it. I don't share that with my wife or with anyone else, but you know what? If I wasn't sober in this program, I'd probably be dead by now, honestly, because there were a lot of bad things that went along with it, you know, smoking and drinking and drugs and all the, and like I shared, I mean, I was going to dark places in the middle of the night in big cities and uh, yeah, anything can happen. So I'm grateful for, um, the greater uh, good of SA, I'm grateful for the big unity conferences. I've met people at all levels and um, wow, it's just something to see. And I'm, I'm, you know, I commend you and I'm grateful for your service. Thanks. 
Thank you, Hans. Shipra, please go ahead. Thank you, Lok. Um, recently, I had a fallout with my sponsor. And uh, one thing that was the last nail in the coffin probably was, uh, she said to me that when there are two or more men left in the parking lot, she usually quits the meeting. Are uh, I'm in a position of service, so I require need to talk to the other side sometimes. And she said only single line messages, no interaction. Mm. Uh, that kind of spoke me because I've been in the program. The first person who brought me into the program, a member, was a male. The person who received me in the program was a male, and he has been my spiritual sponsor since. And uh, the people I've worked with, DSR, everywhere I've conducted, uh, uh, all male, mostly. I, because I was first here in the fellowship in India and I had to interact a lot with men. So my question is, mm-hmm. is it really a precursor to go into that level of uh, aversion from males in the program to, to, to remain sober? My experience with that is that um, the women that came into our meeting and the women that I met in the program, I was very polite (laughs) and I was very careful about the way that I spoke about things. Um, I know that uh, the other guys in the meeting that, um, that were listening or were sharing with those women were very careful about the language they were using probably more so than uh, with men. I know that, uh, well, you know, I I think that women coming into a a new meeting and being around um, men that they don't know, I suppose, yeah, of course, you want to be a little bit careful and be um, thoughtful about your, you know, safety or whatever you're sharing. But as I was sharing, what I do know is that it didn't seem like there were that many differences and that we were able to talk about life in sobriety and life out of sobriety. And that um, that, was, that was important. Uh, I don't think the, the women that I spoke to had ever had an opportunity to just share straight up what they'd been doing and how they'd been living. And um, this is a very, very secret kind of life that that I led that many of us lead. And, um, you know, I think that to just keep it very uh, short and not open up, I don't know if that would be very helpful. So um, work the program to the best of your ability and share with your sponsees to work the program to the best of their ability and tell them to make contact with other women in the program as soon as possible. Um, I don't think that a man should sponsor a woman. Um, No, definitely not. I have a female sponsor and, uh, but the conditions that she brought in were a little too overbearing for me. Uh, because I've had so many questions answered in parking lot by uh, male members. I don't make personal contacts with them. Otherwise, I keep boundaries that way. But for service work, you need to interact. And one-liners 
in chat wouldn't do it. Uh, sometimes you need to, uh, if a girl is passed on to me, her number is passed on to for do, do the 12 stepping, I need to know more and how much has that person already talked so I can take it from there. Right. So yeah, those kind of uh, rules were becoming a little too restrictive for me. And I'm not in a position, and she had no uh, example of service uh, and uh, so much of interaction with men and remaining sober. So she passed me on to the other members. So I was, I had to question myself, is this my own uh, reservations or is it really something that I, uh, am I being crazy or she is being crazy? So one had to be, so I had to reconfirm it with a few people before I thought in long term, this is just not going to happen. So yeah, let's see. Thank you. Yeah, Shipra, I think, um, you know what? Um, to thine own self be true. And um, do what you need to do. Uh, share what you need to share. And um, and just keep working on it with uh, with newcomers. Um, they need you. And, uh, and you need them. And we all need each other. So, yeah. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve. Thank you.